Hello and welcome into another episode of Locked on Wolves. Today on the show, it's the D'Angelo Russell season preview. Lots to talk about related to D'Lo. Somehow last season, D'Lo started the year overrated, finished the year underrated. And I, what's, what's, the, what's the public opinion of D'Angelo Russell? What does the national media think about him? And what's the real story when it comes to D'Lo and his fit with this team? We'll break it all down here today on the show. Welcome in. You are Locked on Wolves. You are Locked on Timberwolves. Your daily Minnesota Timberwolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Wolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked On Wolves. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Happy hump day. Hopefully you're having a fantastic week so far. Big thank you here off the top. For making Lockdown Wolves your first listen every day, of course, Lockdown Wolves is free and available everywhere, including YouTube, as well as all of your favorite audio platforms. Wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find Lockdown Wolves. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Lockdown T Wolves and at B Beacon with two B's, two E's, C K E N. All right. Um, we're going to continue the player preview series today. I want to spend the entire show talking about D'Angelo Russell. I think D'Lo is a fascinating player to talk about. I've said this before on the show. I've said this on other shows where I've guested. D'Lo is one of the more polarizing players in the league because I I think almost all the time, and and I realize I'm speaking now in generalities and there's, there's, uh, but like, I, I feel like he's one of those players who simultaneously often is both very underrated and very overrated. And it's so tough to properly rate D'Angelo Russell. He is certainly a unique player. And fans of D'Lo are a little bit like fans of... I mean, remember when Derrick Rose was on the Timberwolves? Derrick Rose fans are obsessed with Derrick Rose. The guy could do no wrong. And there's also people that just, you know, thought he was entirely overrated. And 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 certainly after the knee injury, you know, overpaid and all that stuff. Um, D'Lo, you know... it. Certainly, his peak has never been anywhere near that of D- of Derrick Rose, but there's a little bit of this weird, like the D'Lo stands won't ever admit that you know there's issues in his game, and then on the flip side, there's people that think he's not good, and and obviously the answer, as it almost always is, is somewhere in the middle. But with D'Lo, it's just such a he's such an all or nothing player in a lot of respects. Um, so I'll, I do want to get into the nitty gritty a little bit with his game, certainly his fit with this roster, what we could expect this year. We spent some time on Monday's episode talking about the the contract situation. Is there a chance he's traded this year? I think the answer is basically no. Uh, it's close to zero unless things go completely awry early in the season. That's the cliff notes of that. But also it is a contract year right? Um, So could that play into it? So I want to start by just kind of talking about where his season ended last year, what his season as a whole, if we're taking the season in totality, what did the 21-22 campaign look like for D'Lo? And then what could we expect to see from him this year? What kind of lineups might head coach Chris Finch put him in, in order to try and, 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 you know, find the most team success and to make D'Angelo Russell successful or put him in the best position to succeed, I guess, individually as well. So um, last season, a really, I think this is kind of, this is just simply an analysis of last season, but it works for D'Angelo Russell as a whole, as a player. I thought D'Lo actually had an underrated season last year. The playoffs struggles are absolutely a recency bias thing, right? Um, 
one example of this, and this is this is a macro, this is a national level. Zoom way out last year, D'Angelo Russell was like twenty. Ah, shoot, I, I lost it. I had it in front of me. Not twenty. He was like sixty something in the NBA rank on ESPN. Which again, this is one list, very, um, very subjective, right? And D'Angelo Russell was like 60-something on the list. He was kind of a consensus top 70 player, you know, not in the all-star conversation, but a really good starting point guard. Now, on this year's same list, ESPN rank, he's number 93. There's almost no question that D'Angelo Russell had the best season of his career, save for his all-star season in Brooklyn. And I would argue, and I have on this show, I think he was actually better last year than he was that season in Brooklyn when he was an injury replacement on the all-star team in, uh, what year was that, 2018, I think? Um, so like he, he had a good year or 20, I guess it was a 2019 all-star game. So four seasons ago, D'Angelo Russell had a much better year last year than he did two years ago, but he fell like 30 spots in the ESPN rank. That's a, that's a recency bias thing. It's the same reason why Carl Anthony Towns suddenly has a better public opinion because he actually made the playoffs. So people just are like, Oh, cat's great. And yeah, cat had a great year last year, but cat's been really good for a long time. And, and there were aspects of his game that were better last season, but it wasn't drastically better. And all of a sudden, everyone's like, oh, Carl Anthony Towns is a consensus top 20 player. That was never the case before. But people now remember seeing him in the playoffs. With D'Lo, people remember him being benched at the end of game six in favor of an undrafted, you know, 25, 26-year-old point guard in Jordan McLaughlin without any playoff track record, without much of an NBA track record. Don't mean this as a knock on Jay Mack. He's fantastic, of course. Really good backup point guard, but... To bench your max contract point guard at the end of game six on your home floor in favor of an undrafted point guard in Jordan McLaughlin. I took guts by Chris Finch, and but that's all people wanted to talk about then. I think it's the the taste that was left in people's mouths. And and you know, D'Angelo Russell was bad, quite frankly, in basically five of six games against Memphis. He had one really good game, I think it was game three, which is actually lost, the first home game at, at Target Center in the series. But besides that, D'Lo was not good in the playoffs. Um, and that's what people remember. Nationally, I think a lot of folks locally, the taste in their mouths from the playoffs, from five of six bad performances and five of seven, if you include the play-in, is what people remember. Now, as a whole last season, as I mentioned a minute ago, I thought D'Angelo Russell was really good. He had a much better season. I would say much better last year than he did the previous two seasons. Now, it's easy for uh, somebody who casually pays attention to look at his uh, traditional stat line and say, oh, well, he scored essentially one point less per game. He shot the ball 2% worse from the field, 41% versus 43. 41% is not a great field goal percentage. His three-point percentage was down almost five full points to 34%, which was his lowest since 2017-18 with Brooklyn five years ago. So how could you argue he had a better season? Well, it's not a hard thing to argue. Look just a little bit deeper. If you just want to look at per game numbers, the assist the assist per game total was up. But rate-based statistics are obviously a better way to look at that. And the assist rate was was up last season. Um, he was asked to do more playmaking on a team that had, um, that had Anthony Edwards. Uh, or I'm sorry, the assist rate was actually, it wasn't, it wasn't up. It was basically flat. But it's important to note that the usage rate was down, right? That's that's the important thing. The usage rate was down. Well, the assist rate and the turnover rate effectively remained flat. Um, they both ticked down just slightly because he was simply asked to do less in the flow of the offense. Um, and 
with that, we'll get more in the weeds here uh, in just a moment. The shot selection was better overall. The free throw rate was better. He was more efficient as an offensive player. And that allowed that, you know, the flat assist rate and the flat turnover rate to be that much more valuable because he wasn't, he was staying within himself in an increased role, playing more minutes, um, but in a decreased scoring role. There was less reliance on D'Angelo Russell in in year two of Anthony Edwards, a further season of an emerging Carl Anthony Towns. And, and D'Lo was relied upon a little bit less. Um, we'll also talk a little bit about his defensive improvement, which, while it wasn't drastic, I've said this on the show before, the improvement from terrible to average is a lot of times very similar, if not in some cases better than the improvement from average or okay to really good or, or great, right? There's st- the gap may be the same. It may be going from here to here. If you're not watching on YouTube, I'm, <laughs> I'm using my hands to describe this. If you're not, you know, going from the bottom to the middle to, to say it in another way is about the same distance in a lot of cases as going from the middle to the top, right? So, that improvement from D'Lo from being an awful defensive player to being a pretty passable average defender at times last season, that didn't mean nothing. That I mean, that, that was important to the Timberwolves last season. So I want to dive a little bit more into those numbers, specifically the shot selection, some of the b-ball index metrics, which I think do a really good job of illustrating, even if the assist rate was flat and the assist per game total was up a little, that was because he played more, right? The minutes per game were up as well. But there's some ancillary playmaking numbers that I think do a really good job of kind of um, really diving into where the improvement came from for D'Angelo Russell. So I want to do that here next. First, though, let's talk about our friends over at BetOnline. BetOnline.net is your number one source for football betting info this season. You can find all the latest player developments, team matchups, news, podcasts, and in-depth articles and analysis on every game you can find. Um, now's the time to get your bets in for week four at Bet Online for the NFL, of course, college football and conference play now. If you're a University of Minnesota Golden Gophers football fan, uh, 4-0, headed into their second week of conference play. I believe they're playing Illinois this week, so a winnable game. Um, so that's Saturday, of course, NFL football throughout the weekend, uh, I guess Sunday, Monday. Um, so head over to Bet Online to get your bets in there and also win totals for the NBA. Still, there's value out there, especially for the Timberwolves. I, I keep saying it. If you're going to do it, do it now. Well, the value's there. As always, BetOnline remains your continued source for all your sport wagering information with live betting and up-to-the-minute scores for every sport out there. The fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite games and events, including MLB, MMA, boxing, and golf. You can head to BetOnline.net or use your mobile device to learn more today. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, so next when it comes to D'Angelo Russell, let's talk about first his shot distribution before we get into the playmaking. Uh, D'Lo shot the ball more at the rim last season, uh, far more at the rim last season than he did the year prior. And actually, if you look at the overall context of his career, not just last season, last year was really impressive. It was actually by far his highest percentage of, um, of, of field goals made within three feet of the basket. So according to basketball reference, he made almost 70% of his shots within three feet 
um, which I should say that's actually his second best of his career. Second only to the season he split between Golden State and Minnesota, which was the first COVID shortened season. It was a weird year. Um, and you take that one out and there's not another year that's really within five percentage points um, of last season's field goal percentage within three feet. It was also an improvement in terms of uh, field goal attempt rate at the rim. Um, it, you have to go all the way back to his first year in Brooklyn to find a similar uh, shot attempt um, or I should say, I guess, attempt rate at the rim within three feet of the basket. So h- higher than the year before, higher than much higher than the year he split between Golden State and Minnesota and also his last year in Brooklyn. This was um, this was an improvement for D'Lo, getting to the rim a little bit more often, converting at a very high rate once he got there. And the free throw rate was up significantly for D'Angelo Russell. Um, in fact, the free throw rate last season was indeed the best full season free throw rate of his career, 0.246, which means for every field goal he attempted from the floor, he attempted almost a quarter of a free throw, which is not an outstanding mark, but it's the best mark of his career. For his career, he's just 0.2 or 20% of the time is he attempting a free throw uh, to a sh- to a uh, to a, a regular field goal attempt. But last season was almost a 0.25 um, up over 0.229 from the year prior. So the free throw rate improved significantly, continues to convert at a high rate at the line. Um, also, the frequency of shots at the rim improved and the conversion rate of shots at the rim improved. Also, even though the actual three-point shooting number was down to just 34%, the three-point rate was up by almost eight points. So 53% of D'Angelo Russell's field goal attempts last season were three-pointers. Now, if he converts them at his career you know, rate, which is almost 36%, roughly league average. I mean, how much more valuable is that than shooting them at 34% like he did last year? In the year prior, when he played 42 games in the in the second COVID-shortened season, he shot 38.7% from three, which was a career high. So realistically, you know, if we're in the 36, 37% range, and he's shooting more than half his shot attempts from outside the arc with real distance, right? D'Lo's got pretty unlimited range on his jumper. That's valuable. That's efficiency. So an uptick in three-point rate, an uptick in free throw rate, an uptick in shots at the rim, an uptick in conversions at the rim, and a we see we saw a a, a small drop in mid-range shots attempted by D'Lo. Now D'Lo is a good enough mid-range shooter. It's usually not a bad shot when D'Angelo Russell shoots the ball from the mid-range, but there were times, especially two seasons ago, where he got a bit, you know, ISO happy with those step backs, especially late game situations. Um, you know, I, I think the uh, the idea is that he's got ice in his veins and he can shoot, you know, whatever, for, get a shot off whenever in crunch time. We saw him hit a couple of big shots in a Wolves uniform to this point. But three-pointers and getting to the rim and distributing are all better choices usually than a step back, you know, tough contested long two um, at any point in the game, including crunch time. So um, D'Lo did take less mid-range and long-range twos last season, more threes, more free throws, more shots at the rim. All that was improved. And again, combine that with a flat assist rate, a flat turnover rate, a slight uptick in rebound rate. And he had a better season last year um, offensively, even though the three-point shooting was down more than four and a half points. I think he was better offensively last year. And let's talk about the playmaking because I think that's the biggest area. The flat assist rate is a bit misleading. Yes, the, uh, the actual per game assist total, if you want to look at that, that was up as well. But if we go over to B-Ball Index, our friends over at bballindex.com do, do a fantastic job um, of breaking down advanced metrics. So if you look at the playmaking numbers there, it's not close how much better he was this past season than he was two years ago. So 
Um, we look at the 2021 season and the playmaking numbers. There's a whole category called playmaking um, over at over at B-Ball Index. And the numbers were good, right? There were some A's mixed in uh, or a lot of A's, a lot of a couple of B's and B pluses. Passing efficiency was a B plus according to B-Ball Index two seasons ago. And the definition of passing efficiency at, at B-Ball Index is high value assists and bad pass turnover numbers plus ball control percentage to gauge which players are more efficient with their possessions and their time to create scoring opportunities for teammates. He was 78th percentile or a B plus a couple seasons ago, 69th percentile and a B for passing versatility, which is assists from scoring play types and sport radar data on assist locations to gauge who is passing from what types of looks to reward more well-rounded passers. Last year, those two numbers were up um, to an A plus for passing efficiency. Again, that's essentially uh, the overall efficiency of individual possessions, creating scoring opportunities for teammates. Almost across the board, he was A pluses and A's for playmaking. Assist assist points per 75 position possessions was an A plus. Uh, high value assist per 75 possessions. Passing creation quality, box creation, all A pluses. Uh, box creation is an estimate of open shots carved out for teammates. Uh, by drawing, uh, just lost my, uh, let me see, where do we go here? Um, an estimate of open shots carved out for teammates, uh, is box creation. And that again, an A plus, uh, passing creation quality. Fantastic. Scoring gravity was an A playmaking talent an A plus, um, almost everything about what D'Angelo Russell did last year from a playmaking perspective, the advanced metrics loved what he did. Now it helps to have great talent around you. Right, um, and and he did. He had a second year version of Anthony Edwards. He had Carl Anthony Towns playing fantastic, um, and, you know. But there were also a couple of subpar offensive players. Patrick Beverly, fairly average at best offensively, all the way around. Jared Vanderbilt, a minus offensively, and yet we still saw these playmaking numbers go, you know, pretty drastically upwards for D'Angelo Russell last season. So um, expect that to continue. We're going to talk more here in a minute about rotations, but the pick and roll duo between him and Rudy Gobert should be fantastic. Um, and then he's still going to get to play with Carl Anthony Towns, right? That's not going away. And he's still going to need to play with Anthony Edwards. Uh, I talked a little bit earlier about him improving defensively. There's not much else to say there other than he was just better on the ball. Uh, part of it was the scheme. He wasn't getting lost in the wash as much as he did in the drop coverages in the past. Under Chris Finch's blitzing scheme last year, he got to be more aggressive and use his length and intelligence on the perimeter. Delo's a big guard. He's a smart player. He's also not super athletic. And so the combination of size and intelligence um, and, and the fact that he was playing hard, which I know sounds crazy and really trivial, but that's probably the biggest thing. The scheme and then the fact that Delo actually tried defensively for much of last season that's going to, I mean, the effort and the size and the intelligence alone should make you an average defender. And that's what we saw, um, you know, was was that combination of factors helping the Wolves defensively. Remember, this was a team that was top 10 in defensive metrics for most of the season and settled around, you know, that 12th to 14th, 12 to 14 range, depending on which metric you like and where you look. Um, but now he gets Rudy Gobert patrolling the back line and helping to protect the paint. The Wolves aren't going to blitz as much as they did in the past. So we'll see how D'Lo defends in a potential drop coverage with Rudy Gobert. Um, Rudy will help D'Lo a lot more than Carl Anthony Towns did in drop coverage in the past, certainly. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that impacts D'Lo, who finally improved defensively last year, in part due to scheme. So um, if that holds up, though, and he remains a passable defender last season, 
then combine that with this 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 uh, playmaking improvement, and I'm sure a three point shot that should bounce back better than 34 percent this year. You're going to have a really nice player on your hands this season, better than the 96th best player in the league, which is of course what ESPN NBA rank is saying. So, um, I, I think he's at the point now nationally, and also I think probably locally on some level. D'Lo is being underrated. I'm not going to sit here and talk about his contract. I've done that quite a bit in the past. He is not a max contract player. I don't think he'll get a max contract this next offseason. But that doesn't mean he's not a good player, and he is. He had a really good season last year. Okay, I want to close by talking about rotations and what I think are the best pairings for Anthony, or excuse me, for D'Angelo Russell um, on the on this year's version of the Timberwolves. All right, so I think D'Angelo Russell's best pairing for the Timberwolves. Well, I mean, we could look at the actual two-man lineup numbers, which again aren't aren't perfect, but it gives you a pretty good sense for who individual players' best pairings were. And uh, last season, D'Angelo Russell's best individual—I uh, shouldn't say individual—best two-man pairing of any significance was Anthony Edwards, which maybe isn't a surprise. They started together for basically the whole season. Um, but Patrick Beverly was starting between them. Ant started at the three last season, but they had a 7.1 net rating in over 1300 minutes last season. Um, and so a lot of success there. I think we're going to see them play together more on that in a second. We'll see them play together beyond just with the starting lineup. His next best offensive or his next best overall pairing was Carl Anthony Towns with a plus 6.9 then Vanderbilt. Um, and then you look at at least, at least pairings where there were more minutes. Malik Beasley's on that next kind of uh, layer as well. So I think we see, a, you know, the D'Lo Towns pick and pop is fantastic. The D'Lo Rudy pick and roll, I would expect to be fantastic. Um, but I think the way that this rotation is going to break down is obviously D'Lo starts at the one. You have Anthony Edwards at the two. Jaden McDaniels very likely at the three with Carl Anthony Towns at the four and Rudy Gobert at the five. I think that the primary backups at each position, as I've said before, Jordan McLaughlin at the one, Jalen Noel at the two with the ability to play combo guard, initiate some offense, depending on matchups. Perhaps there's some nights where McLaughlin doesn't play. Noel absorbs some of those minutes. Torian Prince is the primary backup at the three. Kyle Anderson at the four. And then Nas Reed playing some, you know, I don't know, six, eight, ten minutes a game, depending on the night at the backup five role, because I think Towns and Gobert will be staggered pretty pretty frequently throughout the game to allow at least one of them on the floor at all times. And sometimes to start the game and hopefully to finish it, both Towns and Gobert will be on the floor together. Now, in terms of what the bench rotation might look like, like what kind of pairings are you going to have, assuming you're not doing hockey line shifts, like we've seen some Timberwolves coaches do in the past where five bench guys come in, five starters go out. I think it's intriguing to pair D'Angelo Russell with Rudy Gobert. Like say Rudy takes a rest, middle of the first quarter towns finishes the quarter with, you know, say Jordan McLaughlin comes in and plays point to start the second quarter Towns sits out. Rudy comes back in and Delo comes back in and you have Delo and Rudy essentially running the second unit together with Torian Prince, probably at the three, maybe Jaden McDaniels comes back in at the four. Maybe he starts at the three plays some minutes at the four with that lineup. And then I don't really care who you have at the two. It could be Jalen Noel, although the Noel Delo pairing wasn't fantastic last year. Uh, it could be Jordan McLaughlin. You could have Delo and McLaughlin in the backcourt. With a smaller lineup, Rudy is manning the five and Prince and McDaniels on the wing. I think that gives you enough shooting between D'Lo and Prince, 
you know, you, you have some average spot up type guys in, in McDaniels and maybe McLaughlin, or you put Noel out there or Bryn Forbes, if you want some more shooting, if you want more size, it's Austin Rivers in the backcourt with D'Angelo Russell. But I think the pillars of that, of that particular lineup are Rudy and D'Lo and you fill in the gaps. And I think that works. And then that makes kind of your other combo, you know, blend between bench and, and starters. I think that's an Anthony Edwards, Carl Anthony Towns driven, uh, driven, driven group. Maybe it's also Prince at the three there. Kyle Anderson probably at the four next to Towns. I think Kyle Anderson fits with anybody, which is, um, I've been calling him a Swiss Army knife on the podcast. Chris Finch called him that at Media Day the other day um, on Monday. Kyle Anderson fits next to anybody, but I think him next to Towns will be great. You can you could just have Jalen Noel run that unit. Noel and Anthony Edwards in the backcourt, if you really want, you could have Kyle Anderson initiate the offense, Towns at the five. I think the blend there with these two lineups or two, um, I guess, five-man lineups is really kind of fascinating. Um, you have one group that's that's like like it's almost a perfect blend of offense and defense because Rudy's you know efficient offensively, but a fantastic defender. Jane McDaniel's is more defense than offense. Dilo is more offense than defense. Prince is pretty well-rounded, and then you pick your fifth guy who you want. The other lineup is going to be more offensively inclined with Noel Towns um, and and Anthony Edwards, but Ant's also a pretty good on-ball defender at this point. Kyle Anderson's a fantastic defense, well, fantastic strong. He's a very good defender. And again, Prince is well-rounded. So you've got a lot of possibilities. We've talked a lot about lineup versatility and the ability that Chris Finch will have to, to do a, to just have some fun with his rotations. This team legit goes 10, 12 deep. Um, and D'Angelo Russell fits really well with either one of those groups. The pick and pop game with Carl Anthony Towns was very effective last year. Again, to the tune of 6.6, a plus 6.6 net rating. D'Lo's second best, um, second best two-man pairing. And then Rudy Gobert, Rudy talked to the media. I, I can't remember if it was Monday or Tuesday. Rudy talked about how he thinks the D'Lo integrating with D'Lo will be similar to how he worked with Joe Ingles in Utah over the past several years. Joe Ingles is a similar passer in Rudy's mind to D'Angelo Russell, and there certainly are some similarities there. Um, and then we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Jalen Noel and Carl Anthony Towns, each of their best pairing last year was each other. So Noel and Towns running a unit together makes a lot of sense too. So you could have the D'Lo Rudy group and, and the Ant Noel Towns. Um, I say running with Noel and Towns. Obviously, Ant is handling the ball a lot in that lineup. But Ant and Noel with Towns, D'Lo and fill in the blank with Rudy, that's going to be a pretty interesting, um, again, I, I like the word blend to describe this, blend of skill sets, blend of players that opposing teams are going to have to deal with. Um, and uh, and D'Lo is going to be a big part of this team this year. I think the contract thing, as I talked about on Monday's show, it's an interesting side storyline this season. It's not going to be front and center unless things go horrible. If they, or I should say, horribly in October, November, December, then it becomes a story. If not, it's only a story once we hit like the trade deadline, and you know people are trolling for content, uh, you know to to pot about or to write about, and it becomes, oh well, the Wolves are winning, but Delo's expiring. The Wolves don't want to lose him for nothing, and then maybe there is some conversation there. But if the Wolves are winning, they're not going to trade him. They're going to try and extend him, similar to what they did with Patrick Beverly before they ultimately traded him, but. Could you add a couple years on to D'Lo's deal, not at a max contract rate? And is D'Lo incentivized to do that? Or is he going to look, as he heads into the prime of his career, is he going to look for a bigger contract on the open market next summer? Both are possible. I think they're both far more likely. An extension, not a max, but an extension of some kind 
or him hitting unrestricted free agency are both far more likely than a trade. Again, unless something goes horribly wrong early in the season for the Wolves. But it's an interesting thing to keep an eye on. Um, he, of course, was an all-star in his last season on his last contract, knowing he was hitting the market that offseason, had a fantastic year, got his max deal in the sign-and-trade between Brooklyn and Golden State. Now here we are. He's ready for his next deal. So does he have another monster year? Is he able to apply himself in a playmaking role um, where he you know, he he applies himself in a playmaking role and sees the assist numbers go up, et cetera? Um, or is he going to try too hard to try and score to keep uh to keep to keep the scoring numbers up to then get paid more on the open market it's it's unclear hopefully it's hopefully it's the former and not the latter um and we're not sitting here you know later in the season saying man deal is really forcing shots up I, you know it's a contract year i'm hoping that's not a conversation we're having uh but at any rate i think it'd be a fun year for d'angelo russell i think he fits this team really well i think he's somehow now underrated because of the playoff performance last year um and, uh, you know, and people, you know, when they're reminded he's a max contract player, it's like, well, you know, he's, he shouldn't be, but he is. And I think that just kind of, it skews the value that D'Lo can actually provide on the court, which, which is still, I think, valuable. Um, all right. We'll continue the player preview series on Thursday. Uh, the only players we have to go are Anthony Edwards and Anthony Edwards, Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert. I think we'll do Ant on Thursday. And uh, and probably Rudy Friday and Carl Anthony Towns Monday, unless any additional, unless there's any other news out there that'll take us right up to the preseason opener next Tuesday night, the fifth, against the Miami Heat. So it's all in front of us. It's happening quick. Um, a big thank you to those of you that do make Lockdown Wolves your first listen every day. Of course, the show is free and available everywhere, including YouTube as well as all of your favorite audio platforms. You can also follow on Twitter at Lockdown T Wolves and at B Beacon with two B's, two E's, C K E N. Of course, the Lockdown Wolves podcast is part of the Locked On Podcast Network. The Lockdown Podcast Network is your local experts on all the biggest stories. A reminder that for your second listen, you can listen to Lockdown Fantasy Basketball. Josh Lloyd hosts the number one daily fantasy basketball show on the planet. It's free and available wherever you get podcasts. Once again, I'm Ben Beacon. This is the Lockdown Wolves podcast, and we'll catch you next time.